Well, as you heard, we got a little bit of work to do. Got some ground to cover. It's actually not a lot of words, but it's a lot of action. A lot happens. Mark knows how to spare words. And a whole lot of things we see Jesus doing in, these, in this passage, don't we? And we started last week in this gospel according to Mark. And we are going to continue in it for as long as it takes. And we get to just sit and stew at the feet of Jesus, look at his life and be in awe of him and just be renewed by our minds as we worship him and serve him. Amen? So what do we see in this passage right away in verses 12 and 14? Not that long ago, like a week or two ago, I was meeting with a guy and he was, uh, we, we were reading this passage and I asked him a question. It's a great question to ask yourself when you're reading the Bible. It's a very simple one. What does this teach you about God? See, because a lot of times we look to the Bible for help. We look to the Bible to live our best life. We look to the Bible to help us with the relationship that we got in knots with our kids, with whoever on our block, with our spouse, and that's all fine. But ultimately, way above that is we must read the Word of God to learn about God and how He works and how He moves. And what do we see in verses 12 to 14? Who sends Jesus to the desert? Who? The Spirit of God. And I was able to talk to this guy, right? And listen, this is a guy, it was his first time looking at the Bible as a disciple of Jesus. And the first time looking at the Bible in years and years and years. And we were able to ask these fresh questions. What does this even mean? What does this teach us about God? And one thing is that we learn that everything we've been through, all the horrible things that have happened to us, and let's be honest, all the really stupid things that we've done, God, Heather's like, why, look, why are you looking at me? <laughs> Why? <laughs> we know. We know that God is in it. Like, like our brother Edgar started this service. It is insane that we get to speak to each other about God, given all the other stuff that came out of our mouth all week. <laughs> right? <laughs> It's insane that we get to think about God. It's insane that we get to sing to him. It's, in, it's insane, right? But we know that God is in the middle of even the difficult things in our lives. And, and the Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness. And when he got to the wilderness, we learn from the account in Luke that the devil himself tempts him in the wilderness. But see, Jesus went to the wilderness and he got stuck in the wilderness. And it was, gonna, it, it was to see if he would be conquered by the wilderness. But we learned last week what? Jesus comes and he tames the wild itself. So instead of being tempted by the wilderness, Jesus comes in there and he conquers it. And we need, we need that. 
by the way. We needed Jesus to do that. And after he comes, after this 40-day trial, immediately in verse 14 to 15, what does he do? He starts preaching repentance. We did a whole series on repentance last year. Go online, go to the podcast, listen to a bunch of sermons about the whole process. Now it's a long series, right, on repentance, and yet we know that these words are pretty basic in the original language. We're talking about going a different direction. We're talking about changing our minds. We're we're, we're talking about we were going one way, now we're going another way. We were going towards ourself selfishly, living for what we wanted to, and now all of a sudden, we are wanting to live for Jesus. There's a commentary called The Message, and it's not to be confused with The Message, it's like a translation, but there's The Message Of, and it's edited by John Stott, and if you are like, I have a really good, or several really good study Bibles, and I want to get to this point where now I want to read a commentary. What could be my first commentary set? I think the one edited by John Stott is pretty good. Anyway, he says in the commentary on Mark in this passage, he says, for some there is, and he's talking about repentance, an emotional sense of guilt from the outset. For others, it's a discovery of the only source of the true meaning of life. Yet for others, there's a call to radical discipleship and obedience to Christ. Yet every one of these involves turning back, turning around, changing your mind, changing direction. This is very important. Repentance in you might look different than repentance in somebody else. And what it looks like for someone to begin to walk with God might not look like how it looked like for you to begin to walk with God. And there can be a lot of frustration. You can have a lot of frustration with your brothers and sisters when you're like, they just must not get it. (laughs) Because once I repented, it was like, I was all about this, (laughs) right? And, and we talk about how, you know, there are churches, brothers and sisters, where you can go where there is flawlessness in the worship, flawlessness in the slides. It's, a, it's like a conference every week. It's like an incredible experience. And it's great because you can go from going like 40 miles an hour to 50 and 60 miles an hour. But our ministry here in Gloucester City for a whole lot of folks is to help them go from zero to five. And sometimes they're not even on the road. They're in the garage, and we're swapping out the carburetor, and we're putting in a new alternator, and we're swapping out the spark plugs. And what I'm trying to say is we need a ton of patience because repentance looks different in each and every single person. And we need a lot of grace. And it's not about how far you've made it, but it's how far you've come. And there are people who have experienced incredible, incredible trials in their life. And it's like the most badass, metal, incredible thing that they even are here at church. And then there are other people who've had a totally different experience in life. 
and they're slowly walking backwards, even though their life looks way more faithful than the one who's just come to church the first time. Like we see this in the Bible, Jesus is super inconsistent. To the rich young ruler, what does he say? The rich young ruler wants to follow Jesus and he looks him in the eye and he says, yes, yeah, sell everything. That's what's holding you back, sell everything. Then you got a woman who's been bleeding for years and let's be clear, that means she's, her period is messed up. And what that means is she was cut off. Even now, that would be awful. But back then, 2,000 years ago, it would mean that, like, you're just away from people. You can't even go to church and pray. You're cut off from everyone. Jesus doesn't, doesn't, doesn't tell her, sell all your stuff. What, is she, what happens? He doesn't even know. He doesn't even know, but she touches the hem on his cloak, and he heals her. So reaching out in faith looks different, and repentance looks different for each and every one of us. Amen? And then we see Jesus, he gets a crew, he preaches repentance, and then he gets a bunch of people, and I've talked about how, you know, we got Mr. Howard's truck, you know Mr. Howard's truck, it's out on Morris Street, it's like, I feel like the engine is made from a, you know, like a lawnmower, you know what I mean? And you're like, how does this thing move? And it's one of those box, you know, those boxy car trucks, and you know, you know, First of all, the president would never come to Gloucester City. We know that. But if, you know, once in a while, the president or the vice president goes to Philly and speaks somewhere, and what happens is you have 95 is blocked off, and you can't get in and off for hours. But Jesus, when he comes to Gloucester City, he's hanging on the back of Mr. Hauser's boxcar, and he's going into heritage to the lady that's slicing the meat at the deli and saying, follow me. He's going into Dollar General and calling people, follow me. He's going to Holt and Holtec, and he's going to Cooper, and he's going to the schools, and he's going everywhere, and he's saying, follow me. The whole series is called The Humble Following the Servant. Sorry, Following the Servant. Everything about Jesus was humble everything from the place he was born to the places he chose to stay and minister to the people he recruited to be a part of his team and I remember I remember in high school being a part of a campus not a campus ministry a high school ministry and what did they do they're like we're going to reach the top 10% of the the student body. So they, what they did is they looked at GPA, they looked at everybody who was involved in like more than two clubs, and they got a list together, and then they had this leadership summit, breakfast before school started, and they got the owner of hers, Chips, and other Christian leaders, and they spoke to them. And I'm not mad at any of that because the gospel was preached. But listen to what I'm saying. 
We have been infatuated and intoxicated with influencing people with power. But Jesus didn't seem to care about that. Like he grabbed the roofer. You see, he's grabbing the fishermen. Dudes with calluses on their hands. And he says, I'm going to change the world with you guys. You know, sometimes, sometimes we think that right now, especially, there's a lot of pressure to plant. And my brother, my brother Will knows he's, he, he's in a hard place. And, and all the pressure, all the pressure to plant churches is in the sexy, cool downtown places where people have money. It just is. Start churches there. And the idea is, if we can influence the influencers, it'll, it'll, it'll run downhill. And the other idea is, well, these are the people who are the least church. It just doesn't bear out statistically. I worked at one of those churches. Everyone needs to hear Jesus. I'm glad that people in skinny jeans and $7 coffees get churches where they can learn about Jesus. But what I'm saying is when you look at the statistics, half of the people that are the least educated are, I'm sorry, the, the bottom half of education, it halves marriage rates. It halves church attendance rates. And, and, and what we're being told is like, you know, people like, they get up there in education. The reality is, is that this is something that I don't need to give you statistics for. How many people do you know, you know what I mean, are married, aren't involved in baby daddy, baby mama, all that stuff, right? And the kids are not growing up hearing the word of the Lord, and they're not a part of a church, like, I'm not going to apologize by saying, we need mission here. <laughs> we need mission in Greenville. And I probably said it wrong. <laughs> we, we, we need the gospel everywhere. But what does happen is, is that a lot of times, folks in hard and forgotten places are predisposed to some religious ideas. And they watch a lot of stuff on TV. And listen. Most of the stuff, not all of it, there's some gold on TV. But most of the stuff on TV, it's like the lowest common denominator, the easiest spirit, it's like the McDonald's of spiritual food. <laughs> like it's just right there, and they got the dollar menu, and you can like say to yourself a bunch of stuff like power, positive thinking, whatever. But it's not true. It's not found in the word. And I get it. It's like when you're discouraged and you're depressed and it's right there and you can turn it on, it's something, right? But it's like saying the same thing, going to the corner store every single day and getting something. I, didn't, I don't mind having a cheesesteak once in a while, but every single day from the corner stop is a bad idea. And what we see out there on TV, it's, it's a minefield. And that's why we got a bunch of books back there. We got more upstairs. That's why our church subscribes to Right Now Media 
to kind of give you like a sense of like, here, it's not the only place you can find some good stuff, but here is some safe stuff for you. Here's some solid stuff with some meat, you know? All, all, a lot of times what we hear preached, it's, it's, it's preaching denial, not true deliverance. It's, it's just deny that you're sick, deny that you're poor, deny that you're depressed. And it feels good for a few minutes, a few days, or a few weeks. But you're living in denial. And you're not actually being healed. And this is very relevant because we're going to see Jesus heals. He heals the sick and he casts out demons. So we're not denying any of that. But there's not a short road. Now listen, when he gets this crew together, they leave immediately, don't they? He goes to Simon and his brother Andrew, and what do they do? They drop their nets, and they follow Jesus. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and child, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Some of you have heard those words come out of my mouth. They aren't my words. Those are Jesus' words, first of all. And if you're like, that's a little rough. I don't know about that. That's good. It means you actually were listening. <laughs> Let me help you with it. You actually become, in so many ways, a better son, a better daughter, a better sister, and a better mother when you become a Christian and when you follow Jesus. And I have seen with my own eyes, right, like wife-beating dudes becoming dudes who pray with their wives and are gentle with them. I have seen with my eyes wiling out women become homemakers. I've seen with my eyes rebellious sons become solid men. And people get their family back and they get their finances in order and God blesses them. And there's a whole lot that happens when you experience God in your life that makes you more engaged in your family. But there are two ways in which you are less engaged in your family. And one of them has to do with the fact that your loyalty shifts. Your ultimate loyalty shifts. It's not ultimate loyalty to your family anymore. I know this is like really hard for us. But it's what Jesus teaches. And I'm not holding your hand, my, you know, mom, my sister, my children, my wife. I'm not holding your hand Walking in and co-signing and lying to the county and lying to our landlord and lying to our neighbors and lying to ourselves. I'm not holding your hand as we walk backwards in addiction and we walk backwards into darkness and abuse and just say nothing. Because we don't want to rock the boat. Because that's family. Because we've got to look over it. I'm not holding your hand and falling into the pit with you. 
when you follow Jesus, all of a sudden you have this totally different sense of worth. And you don't find your worth in your family only. Like, like you're with him now, right? Because before, if your family did well, you did well. And if it did bad, well, you just had to be down there in hell with them. But guess what? When you follow Jesus, it's you and Jesus in a lot of ways. And you have to let go sometimes. you got to let go. And here's a different way. Sometimes your family will not understand your sense of calling. I, I remember, I remember when my family found out that we were going to Central Africa. And what was their response? Their response was like, oh, this is like you being selfish. Why would you let your kids be in a place where they can get sick? where it's unsafe and then it's selfish on another level because they're not going to grow up knowing us and it's selfish on a whole nother level because we don't get to see them sometimes Jesus calls you to do certain things that's going to separate you from your family and when you do that they're going to see it's going to feel like hate and it's not that you hate them, you love them. You pray for them. God's made you a better sister, brother, mother, daughter, father, right? But not, not, not better in the sense that you're going to put them and place them above God. You can never do that. You can never do that. So Jesus continues on. He gets his crew. They surrender to him. It's such a beautiful picture. They drop their nets. And then what does he do? In verses 21 to 22, he teaches with authority. Jesus needs you to agree with him here. He's humble, but he's not passive, right? He, he's a king. He's a, he's a humble king, but he's still a king. It's like with my kids, with my kids, the way that I talk to my kids about their grades and the way that I talk to my kids about the choices they make and the things they say in the home and out in school and out on the street is different than the way that I can talk to your kids. And why is that? Because I am able to do some stuff to my kids I can't do to your kids. <laughs> Amen? So when I teach them, it's not just me telling them good stuff that they should consider. It's not just like, hey, Owen, like you should consider this or that. It's like, hey, I need you to listen to me, son. Because if you don't, something's coming. And when Jesus teaches, he doesn't teach like the preachers. He doesn't teach like the scribes. He doesn't, he doesn't say, like, here's some interesting thoughts about God. You should consider them at arm's length. And that's what people have a hard time with when they read Jesus because he's confronting them. He's not saying, like, here's a different way to look at God. Think about that. It's like we do theology on tap. We're going to do it on Tuesday. That's how we approach it. Hey, look, let's listen to each other. Let's, let's, and, and, and I like it. 
And I, I think there's a place for it for me <laughs> as a frail, limited person to walk along somebody outside somebody else and to say, listen, I don't see God perfectly. Let's talk about it. Let's consider some stuff. I don't know everything. But you know what? Jesus doesn't, doesn't act like that at all. <laughs> when he teaches, it's the same as when I am talking to my kids. He has authority. He's not asking you to consider it, whether it's true or not. He's teaching. And he's expecting you to follow him. And he doesn't just teach with authority. He shows his authority. We see that in verses 23 and 24. Remember last week we had the lion taming the wilderness, right? We saw that, that, that Mark shows Jesus in the face of a lion, well, C.S. Lewis, the author, he talked about the lion being on the move, and here he moves. Here he moves, and we read the accounts. Uh, our brother Edgar read the accounts of Jesus casting out demons, and the demons talking to him, and I'm telling them to shut up, and I'm telling them to move on, right? I, I, remember, I remember the first week we were serving in Rwanda. The first week, somebody knocked on the gate. We came out, and they asked us, for some money, and I'm like, what are you going to use the money for? And they were like, well, we need to get some medicine, and the medicine is going to reveal who cursed us. And I'm like, yeah, I haven't been here that long. That's not how medicine works in America. <laughs> like, you don't take, you don't eat something and, like, learn things about other people. <laughs> Right? Like, like, at least not that I know of. <laughs> and um, I remember we started diving into this world. And I remember this, this woman, Violet, we heard she was sick and she believed she was cursed. And um, I went up the hill um, in the countryside, wasn't far away from our house, and prayed for her. And then she was still sick, and nothing changed. And we, we went up the next month, um, and I prayed for her. And I prayed, you know, one of those aggressive prayers. You know what I'm saying? Where you get it loud. <laughs> and I brought some oil. You know what I'm saying? Put it on her head, and I prayed. <laughs> and, and, and told whatever sickness or whatever demon was in her to leave. She was still sick. <laughs> and I started to remember what I had been mentored into and taught in seminary. I went to a, a missionary school in Columbia, South Carolina. We had some, some amazing professors who'd spent, like one of them spent three decades in the Amazon basin <laughs> down in South America, seeing all kinds of spiritual warfare. And I remember his advice, and I remember him turning us to the book of James 5, where we see that if anyone is sick, they should call the elders to pray, but, but let them confess their sins. And, and I remember being coached and taught that, that, you know what, you have to do what Jesus is doing here in Mark 1. You have to actually engage the darkness that's happening. And what I was doing was very, like, paternalistic, very, um, like, fatherly, oh, you're sick, and I just want you to get better. 
I just, I just want to pray that you get better. And Jesus is actually engaging and pushing out darkness. Do you see the difference? And so the third time I went up there, I asked this, this girl, I said, listen, I need to know the history now. I, we prayed for a couple times. I've come up a couple times. You know, listen, I, I'm not Jesus, but I, but I know Jesus can do anything. You know, I believe he's going to do something for you, but I need to know what's going on. And she began to open up and she began to talk about actually her own experiences of diving into the occult. And, and I know that for some of you, it's just like that. I don't even know what that is, but I also have heard from some of you individually like, yeah, when something really horrible happened in my life, I made a commitment to the devil. I did that in pain. And when you do things like that, you open a door. And when she confessed the ways in which she sought power and knowledge outside of Jesus and when she renounced it and repented of it and when we began to pray and it wasn't no loud prayer it was just a prayer she began to bend over and cough and something like smoke but it was something you could touch came out of her mouth And then she had incredible peace. And the nightmare she had every night stopped. And the disease she had all over her legs cleared up in a couple days. She was healed. Liberation is a reality that is needed. It's a reality. And sometimes we downplay it, but the light and the dark is real, just like sickness and health is real. And it's not just overseas. I can tell you stories right here in the Philly area. So we go kind of towards the end, and Jesus in verse 41, he's indignant with this man who says, are you willing to heal me? Are you willing to heal me? It could be filled with compassion. That's what our Bibles say, the CSB. Um, other translations say indignant. We, it's like it's debatable which one it, which one it is. But it's very easy to see Jesus being indignant. It's easy to see, let me make it Gloucester. It's Jesus. It's easy to see Jesus getting pissed off <laughs> at sickness and depression, and brokenness, and things that have a stranglehold on people, and things like leprosy, things that happen to you that isolate you from everybody else, things that make it so that nobody wants to walk with you in life. This makes Jesus angry, and he wants to do something about it, and he wants to clear house. My own story... I was, I was 
you know, 16 years old, I was on four or five different medications. I was in and out of being treated inpatient in the hospital. I had all these emotional problems. And not only that, I was getting into trouble with my family. I was getting in trouble with the law. Doing things I shouldn't have done. And when Jesus came into my life, when Jesus came into my life, he healed me. And one of the things that we see Jesus doing in the youth group, one of the things that we see Jesus doing in this church and in the community is that he's healing people. And listen, one of those things is we can take less medication. Some of us smoke less weed than we used to. I'm keeping it completely real. We, 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 we're free. We're being set free by Jesus. What dark secret are you holding on to? What leprous, untouched, an untouchable part of your life do you hide and do you pull back from Jesus? Are you that woman that, that we drove up the hill to, that we're just praying for every week, that we're putting oil on and we're praying for, but there's stuff deep down in your heart and you haven't shared it with anyone, you haven't confessed it, let alone renounced it and walked away from it. So I want to jump back and finish in verse 35. We see that Jesus takes care of his own soul. We see that, let me be clear, in case you're checked out, there is zero stigma for taking medicine and zero stigma for getting treatment and zero shame for being sick. See, two things can be true at the same time. Jesus heals you. Jesus lets you, helps you smoke less weed and take less pills. And sometimes completely off of all of that. And he heals you emotionally. But this is also true. That we will, our bodies will break down. We will die. Bad things will happen to us. And we will not go from victory to victory. Right? And when somebody's down and they're depressed and they're leaning on medication, we don't kick them. Tell them they didn't have enough faith. And Jesus went out. He went out, but he knew that you and I, our expectation for God to heal, this is why that's so heavy on that side in this tonight's sermon, is not like 50 or 60%. It's like somewhere between zero and negative 20%. <laughs> that's our expectation for God to heal us. Let's be real. A lot of us are like, if we pray, you know what I mean? Like, it's foggy and we're looking for a parking spot. A lot of us feel like, well, if I pray, probably the clouds will get thicker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's how I know me and I know you. But Jesus knew that he had to take care of his soul. And he got out early to the lonely place. He climbed up the mountain. And I, and I need you to, I, you know, I, I need you to... To know this, that if Jesus needed to pray and he was sinless and he was the son of God, what are we doing? What are we doing? You can be an illiterate Christian. 
You can be a Christian that just cannot read. And you can be a very strong Christian who cannot read. Can I get an amen? Because I've known them. Stronger than me. You can be a Christian and be unable to speak. You can be a Christian and not have hands to serve anyone. But to be a Christian without prayer in your heart, in the very best case scenario, you are in a season where you are not functioning out of who you really are. In the very best situation, you are a joyless Christian. You are a powerless Christian. And in the worst case scenario, you're not a Christian at all. But like I said last week, halfway to becoming the real thing is being honest with yourself and saying, maybe I'm not one at all. Epiphany Church, let's be a praying people. We got a lot of people stuck in darkness, stuck in depression, stuck in addiction, stuck in loneliness. There is sort of this, this mindset that pervades town of negativity. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever heard somebody like, you know, I Gloucester guys, you know, I'm a Gloucester guy. You can never get ahead, you know? And you had like one criminal offense and then you stayed at your grandma's for the next 10 years. Come on, get off of it. I've been overseas. I've been in Kensington. I've been in Camden. We got to wake up. Life gets a lot harder than it is here on these streets. And there's a lot more we can do. We need to break through. We need to break through that. And we need to be praying people that point people to the one who tames the wild, who casts out the darkness, who casts out the demons. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.